Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week, I'm speaking with Leah Orleans. Now, we're going to talk about exactly who Leah is, but if we just want to use one word, I guess it's that she's an entertainer, but so much more than that. She gets it honestly. Her parents were both in the entertainment world. Her dad was a magician. Her mom was an entertainer as well. But Leah, from a young age, from from the age of nine, really got into contortion and uh, that's kind of I guess her specialty if you will but she does so much more but she's a contortionist she travels the country performing at renaissance fairs uh, theater shows she's done cruise ships done so many amazing things we're going to talk about what it means to be a contortionist if you don't know that word that's the people who can you know bend and put their legs over their their head and and shoot bow and arrows uh, with their feet and uh, you know all that kind of literally what looks to be backbreaking uh, stunts. So we're going to talk about that. That's that's an amazing thing for sure. We're going to talk about her juggling. We're going to talk about her uh, being able to put on these one-woman shows. Shows are called Tiny Girl Big Show, um, which kind of just the inspiration behind that is, you know, that She's she's small. She's I think she's around five foot tall, but she puts on this huge, impactful show. And you know, don't let anybody tell you that just because you're a small person, whether that's literally or figuratively, that you can't uh, do amazing things because you certainly can. Uh, that's kind of what what uh, what the point of that is. That's that's the inspiration. To talk about what that means to travel around the country as a contortionist, as an entertainer, as somebody who who does all these amazing things. We're going to talk about. You know, with doing so many awesome different things um, and being on stage as a one-person thing, obviously you can't uh, can't have a lot of costume changes. So what's that mean to – how can she be able to juggle and do contortion and do all these other things in one outfit, which I knew that it would be, uh, would, it would be an interesting topic, and that certainly was. So we'll talk all about the world of a circus – performer, a world of a cruise ship performer, the world of a renaissance fair performer, uh, a contortionist, Leo Orleans is all of these things, an amazing, amazing person, and I really, really enjoyed speaking with her. Without further ado, here is Leah Orleans. I'm here today with Leah Orleans. Miss Orleans, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Jackson. Well, thanks for joining me. If you would, just introduce yourself. My name is Leah Orleans. I am a professional circus performer, contortionist, and comedic host. Yeah, and I was wondering how you would introduce yourself because just in researching, you do a lot of stuff between contortion, <clears throat> juggling, acrobatics. I saw in mm-hmm. video that you were teaching people how to use a whip. So a lot of things. <laughs> what, what do you, I mean, if, there, if there's one headline, what do you call yourself? Is it a contortionist? Is it just a Jack of all trades entertainer, or what's what's Leo Orleans? Yeah, I love using the term entertainer. Um, I think that it's really important to me that it's conveyed that I do live performance. Mm. So I am a circus performer by trade, and a contortionist is my main discipline. Mm. But I often do shows or performances where all I'm doing is hosting or mm. being funny and making other people look really good. 
I also love doing unicycling and juggling. And then, yeah, I, I do trick bull whipping as well. So I tour with the solo show, but I'm often part of other circuses or larger productions. I love it. And I'm, I, we're going to break down all of those things, including your, your solo show. But I want to get to the very beginning. I know you kind of come to this honestly. I think your family was in entertainment. Talk a little bit about growing up in that world. I think it, your dad was a magician. So what was that like? Yeah. So both of my parents are professional entertainers. So it's kind of all I knew growing up where the two main adults in my life have livings, unlike other adults that have a nine to five job. They are freelancers for the most part, and they work for themselves, but they're representing other companies, performing at holiday parties or corporate events, and really making other people's events special with their entertainment abilities. So I watched my parents uh, really learn to delegate and to organize and to prioritize their own lives. And then because they both worked from home for the most part, or they, they stayed at home, I got to be part of their lives. And I got to see them in their offices work and, and practicing and getting better at their tricks or their skills. It was a very motivating environment. Yeah. And I think you're kind of just firsthand. I talked to a magician and they talked about, it was, it was a, a female magician. She talked about how she didn't have a lot of role models in that world. Um, mm -hmm. but so she wasn't exactly sure how possible it was going to be. This just goes to show you with you just having those role models, having those people that didn't have that secure nine to five type job, you saw the possibilities and that's what made it more mm -hmm. possible for you. So I, I like to see that kind of play out. So talking about magic, obviously your dad was a was a magician. I've heard your answer <laughs> on other podcasts before, but why didn't you do magic? Um, I decided that I wanted to go a different route. I learned a lot from magic and studying magic and watching my parents perform and create their craft. But I really liked the physical aspect of circus. And I like the ability to physically train for something that doesn't have a secret or a trick yeah of how it works except for the fact that you're actually doing it with your body i think that's that's really cool for sure and i want to ask you too just again based off of who i've talked to she went to clown school i know you went to circus school what's different about those two maybe you don't maybe you don't um, know the difference I, but what is circus? oh no, i do definitely um, I went to both, actually. I did oh. a, a clown program as well called the Clown Conservatory in San, in, uh, San Francisco huh. in sure. 2012 and 13. Yeah. Uh, and then I also attended a circus school. It's just different types of, of classes and different types of study. I think clowning is significantly more theatrically based, storytelling based. You're doing a lot more emotional exercises, playing with humor and joke and structure and feeling um, where circus school was more of a sports-based type of program. It was a lot of physical training, conditioning, training with coaches that are pushing you physically. So, I mean, it, it seems like a pretty, pretty easy transition, but still get asked the question, what do you think that you've taken from that schooling into what you're doing now? I'm sure a, a ton. Yeah, definitely. And I, I often find myself realizing how much I've learned while I'm on stage too. Mm. A lot of the 
exercises and the the lessons that I learned in school come out to save me when I need it is kind of what it feels like. Or if if there's a moment on stage where you listen, a, a lot of my clown teachers, professors, essentially uh, coaches, they taught you how to listen and how to listen to a moment and how to listen to the audience and listen to what the audience finds funny. And if you're on stage just doing what you think should be happening, you're not listening. And mm. then moments are missed. So if you're in the middle of a trick and a baby starts crying, but you ignore the baby and you keep just doing your show, you're not listening to what everyone else in the audience is hearing and happening in real time. And when you can be with your audience, then your performance is very authentic. No, I, I love that. And I, I feel like that's probably what sets apart good performers from from those who still have, I guess, a ways ways to go, being able to adapt to to maybe what you're what you're seeing from the audience. Do you think that uh, it, does that a you think that's a, a learned skill? I guess that's probably something that you that you learned in, in circus school. But was that a was that a difficult thing? Because I feel like with the things that yeah. you're do, you're doing, you have a forty five minute routine. You you're you're kind of all set up there, and then the baby starts crying, or then somebody you know does something else. How hard was it to to start making those adaptations? I think it's a great question. Um, a lot of that comes from uh, this theory in in theater and in circus of like know your material, know your script, know your tricks be prepared. And then right before you get on stage, forget all of it Mm. and let that go and let surrender to the real surrender to the moment in time that we're actually living in. And that's really what sets live theater and live performance apart from movies or social media videos or internet videos content is that when you're performing, everyone is there in real time. We're all in this moment. There are no edits. There are no cuts. There's no post-production. You know, we're all breathing in real time together. Um, So what I had to learn to do was just let it go. And when you do it and you feel that, it's magic. Mm. Like, it's that's what magic is made out of. And... I think it's really fascinating to find those moments and feel them and go, Oh, that's, that was the lesson. Like that was the moment I felt it. And you mm-hmm. can kind of think back after the show and be like, Oh, when that, that kid ran a, you know, across the front row and everyone saw it and I stopped what I was doing and I just looked at the kid and it just got a laugh. It was a real moment in time. Mm-hmm. And that that's powerful. I think that is powerful. I think that that's really cool for sure. And I want to, I want to kind of focus now on, contortion. I know that's something that's been a part of your life for a long time. I think you've been doing it since you're nine years old. I always like to break mm-hmm. things down to the the most simple level because you know I, I have so many different people on. I don't expect the listener to to know everything. So let's just first say what is contortion for somebody who says what in the world is contortion? What's this word? Yeah. So contortion is the circus art of bending your body in ridiculous positions. I am trained in Mongolian contortion, which is a, a type of contortion or a style, a technique of contortion that is based up from Mongolia specifically. So it's if, if somebody is seeing it, they're seeing somebody, you know, bend their body in, in, in all kinds of unique ways behind their head, all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what uh, made you get interested in that at, at such a young age? Yeah, I always thought it looked really cool as a kid. 
whenever I would go to a circus or I'd see pictures of this of girls in, in twisted pretzel positions. And I was pretty flexible as a kid when I did gymnastics a little bit. I found that I, I definitely did well with flexibility. And then I ended up joining a youth circus program that had contortion as an option. And a, a Mongolian contortion coach was there teaching classes. And I started working with her and really, really loved it. I know you're kind of a, a generalist and I want to talk about that in a moment, but what made you decide that that was something that maybe was going to be a little bit of a specialty for you? Yeah, I I really liked it. I started performing a little bit with the youth circus program and I really enjoyed it. I think that when I started seeing other entertainers doing solo material was when I really decided that I wanted to do solo material. Mm. There were a few other clowns and actors growing up that I got exposed to living in Chicago in the Chicago theater scene that did solo numbers, some really fun, weird out there stuff. And I went, whoa, I don't have to just be part of a big circus. I can actually tell my own story through theatrical mediums. And I I got hooked onto that concept pretty quickly. I got you. And I want to kind of talk now to um, your actual performances. And this is kind of a a strange question, but I've, you know, in talking to so many people in, in the arts, which is what you're doing is obviously a, a, an art form. There's a lot to be said about, you know, the costume. There's a lot to be said about what they're like, the shoes they're wearing when it comes to ballet and Irish dance and this kind of stuff made me think with you, given you do so many things, contortion, um, juggling, all this other stuff. Does that make it more Mm -hmm. difficult to figure out the the costuming because I feel like maybe one yeah. one costume is it better is. for one, one yeah. costume is better for the other. Mm-hmm. No, that's a really great point. Uh, it is. It's a total struggle. And I, I've over the years of performing, I figured out a very specific techniques and necessities that I need to be able to do an entire show with different circus disciplines and still wear the same costume. A lot of the performances that I do, I don't have time to do a costume change. I can't run off of stage and change my clothing because I am the entire show. So I have different versions of my costume for different weather as well, different heat and cold. Sometimes I perform outside. Sometimes it's very cold. Sometimes it's rainy. Sometimes it's wet. Sometimes it's hot and muggy, sticky, dry, all different types of uh climate and for the renaissance festivals i'm also wearing a microphone for most of my performances i'm wearing a microphone that is tucked under multiple layers of fabric in a very specific way so that it doesn't fall out when i go upside down and then a wire is thread up through my back under my costume up through my ear and then pinned with about seven bobby pins into my head Mm. and attached to the side of my face so that it won't fall off either or slide around as I cartwheel and flip throughout the stage. Um, and then I have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the day. So going and doing that without microphone packs falling into the toilet is a great challenge and that I do not enjoy as part of my job, <laughs> but it's fun. It's fun putting it all together. I have a jumpsuit when I do theater shows. That's like a onesie kind of uh it's like shorts and a short sleeve cut with a little collar and it's one piece and it zips up in the front. It's black. 
I was just working on it right before our call, actually, with uh, adding more rhinestones because I feel like it needs to be more sparkly. <laughs> so that's really fun. And I love that because it's it's one piece. Things don't slide around. I'm not, nothing's going to fall off when I go upside down. The shorts are long enough where I do the splits and I'm still totally safe and covered. And, uh, and I can hold, I can keep my mic pack back inside of it in the inside tucked upside down. And then I also, it also has pockets mm. so I can put things in the pockets and that's lovely. I like it. I think I, I knew there's going to be a lot more to it. The costuming is, is a huge part of all entertainment. So I, I'm not surprised at all with that. Everything can use more sparkles. So I'm glad, I'm glad that you're at <laughs> Let's talk about people coming to your, your performance. We've talked, you know, so much about the, the costuming, some of the things you do, but someone sees Leo Orleans is going to be somewhere that they are. What, what are they, what are they going to see? It depends on if I'm at a Renaissance festival or I'm doing a theater show or a corporate event. But mm-hmm. most of the time when I'm at Renaissance festivals, which are a good, a good amount of my year, I will be on a stage at the festival doing three to four shows a day, and I'll be doing my full 45-minute show for the most part. And then afterwards, you can talk with me and take pictures and chat, and I'll run around the lanes hawking my next show. So I get my own little my own little corner of the fair with the stage and some benches where people can come sit and watch. Judy from, from Virginia says, when the world's a renaissance fair, what is a renaissance fair? <laughs> A Renaissance Fair is an outdoor festival. There are about 35 of them in the country. They range in size. Some of them are small and have a few hundred guests. And then some of them are very large, up to 20,000 people or 40,000 people per day. And they usually run on Saturdays and Sundays only for about six weeks. They happen at different times throughout the year. If you Google your state name and then Renaissance Festival, you might be able to find one that's close to you. I This year, I'm planning on working the Renaissance Festivals in Southern California, uh, the festival in Chicago called Bristol. It's in, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, in that area, it's called the Bristol Renaissance Festival. And then the New York Renaissance Fair in Tuxedo, New York as well. So is it does your performance just kind of lend itself well well to this type of festival is it something you just enjoy so that's why you keep booking or or why renaissance fairs i began working at renaissance festivals in 2014 that was my first year and i really took a liking to them i like them because they allow for long form type work like i'm doing 45 minutes it's not just a quick act and then it's a really fun environment the people are in a great mood there's beer and fun things for the kids and everyone's kind of in play mode. When you walk through, there's people dressed up as knights and people cosplaying and people get to dress like the audience yourself. You get to dress up and mm-hmm. people often do. Mm-hmm. It's not necessary, but it just adds to the fun. It's a really fun space already before I, I even start my show. So I feel like the audience is really primed to have a great time. Mm-hmm. And also, it's a two day a week schedule. It's Saturdays and Sundays. And then I get Monday through Friday to rest my body. And that's really, really helpful for me as I do a very physical show. Yeah. And you're talking about them being in New York and Wisconsin and California, and you're only doing it for two days. Are you going home in between? Are you, do you get to rest and kick back in that city or what's that look like? It depends on the festival that I'm at when I'm performing in 
at Bristol in Chicago, I get to stay with my parents who mm-hmm. live there, which is really great. I get to spend some time with them, which is kind of rare as we both travel a lot. We all travel a good amount. Uh, sometimes I'll go back to Florida, back home, but most of the time I stay in the area. In New York, I get to stay there in Tuxedo as well on site. And that's very lovely. Yeah. So your parents are still active in, in showbiz? Mm-hmm. Very much so. Uh, that's that's really cool for sure. want to ask you, you know, we, we already talked about how you kind of a, a generalist and think probably a good chunk of the answer I'm going to answer. And that's, you got a 45 minute show. You can't bend your body for 40 minutes. That wouldn't be very comfortable. But what made you decide to not just specialize and join a, you know, join a circus and just be the contortionist and walk off the stage afterwards? What made you decide I'm going to generalize, I'm going to create this one person show and I'm going to do a lot of different things? Yeah, well, in the youth circus that I joined a, a long time ago, one of the requirements is that you're able to unicycle and juggle as well. So I learned to do those at an early age, which really set me up for multidisciplinary skills. And then as I was getting better and I was adding more things to the show, I got better at juggling and I got a little stronger at being able to tell jokes and be have a character, a strong character that can carry the show and through clowning. I I think that variety is important, especially in long form theatrical work. It's great to be able to change the stage picture and to have the audience be able to see something different every time or every five minutes or so throughout the show. Yeah. So what was the hardest part of of creating a a one person show? I, I it, it was it the act and keeping people entertained or was it the complete opposite side of just being able to conversate and and do that side of things? What was the what was the most difficult part? Yeah. Um I there's a lot of, of difficult parts for a lot of reasons. I think that one of the most exciting things that was also a challenge is that I could, I had the freedom to create whatever kind of work I wanted. I'm, I'm studying and reading a lot right now about freedom, freedom of choice and freedom of, of decision and responsibility and what comes with that. And when you're creating work that's meant to be shown to other people, whether you're writing or you're an artist and you're in the form of creation, you're in the zone of creation, you literally have infinite choices. And because you have infinite choices, that can get very overwhelming. I think that it's fun for me to think be like first about what what do I want people to feel in each routine when I'm writing a routine? Is it suspense? Is it joy? Is it education? Is it funny? Is it humor? Is it a character-based thing? Do I want them to learn more about me when we come out of it to relate to me more as a person? Like So making those choices was hard um, and feeling like I could go anywhere and what if I went in the wrong direction, you know, like the self-doubt of it all. Mm. But once I started to kind of understand and put things in front of people, it was easier for me to make those choices. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's awesome. And you talk kind of about choices and of course, creating a theme, you're your show and your website's called Teeny Girl Big Show. I know you're kind of big on that teeny but strong theme. Talk about why that's important to you. Yeah, yeah. The Tiny Girl Big Show is, uh, I, I chose that name and that concept because it's going to stay consistent throughout my career. I don't think that I'm ever going to grow past five feet tall. I've, <laughs> I think I've finished growing. I'm, I'm 
very close to my 30s, by the way. So yes, I finished growing. <laughs> and uh, being able to market myself as something that it will be consistent was important when I was choosing a show name. And then I wanted people to understand that what they're about to see is big. It's a big show. I have a lot of very large skills. I have a lot of large props. I have a live musician that plays with me who's incredible. And together we create a really big feeling. And I also wanted it to be inspiring to any kids out there, anyone that feels like they weren't big enough, you know, theoretically or literally or conceptually um, to be able to reach their dreams or do what they wanted to do. So that's what I've been able to do with my show, even though I'm small physically, I like to think that I create a large experience for people. Yeah. And that kind of brings up an interesting point when it comes to, because your show is so physical it is so big i'm sure it's really physically demanding um you know your your parents at least your dad magic he probably can do that until you know eternity what uh, what Mm -hmm. kind of longevity is a is a performance like like yours is it something that you're going to be able to do forever i'm not sure um that is a great question and that's a very valid question i get that a lot um ever since i was nine i had people saying well how much longer can you do this for (laughs) And it's true, you know, contortion is is a skill that does take a toll on your body. I That's also why I like to cut it with unicycling and juggling and other things that are a little less high impact on my bones and joints. I am going to do it for as long as I can. And I'm going to pivot when I can, you know. What I also like is that if I'm injured or if I need to take some time off of a certain part of my body, I can replace that routine with something else. And I can often find another type of show to create out of the skills that I have available to myself. So I'll do the best I can. No, I, I love that. And obviously the natural transition for a lot of people is, is teaching. Do you have any interest in, in teaching what you know? Yeah, I actually do have a side business called the ABCs of fitness, where I teach people how to form consistent fitness habits through making exercise fun and accessible. Hmm. And that's really important to me. I learned a lot of that lesson when I was training contortion and and training circus is that it's hard. And if I don't make it fun, I'm not going to do it. So taking things and taking skills and making them fun or memorable or memorizable, in fact, uh, is part of what the ABCs of fitness is all about. And I I really love that. It's really fun. I don't necessarily coach only circus people. The ABCs of fitness is for anybody, normal normal non-circus people as well um and i do teach circus people occasionally and i I find a lot of joy in that but i think that my passion lies in performing and creation act creation entertainment experience so i believe that that's always going to be the core part of of my life yeah and you talked earlier about how you know when i asked you when somebody sees that you're you're coming to their town, what they're going to see. And you talked about how it's kind of different based off of the environment, whether it's a theater, whether it's a Renaissance fair, what, what's the differences here? Is it, do you just have two different routines that you do or, or what makes them different? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I do have different differences in the two routines. There's differentiation in the type of performance that I do when I'm in a theater or outdoors or working for a corporate private client. It depends on the theater and on the the space, the stage, the ceiling height, the weather, 
the costuming, you know, and then the type of audience. There's a term also that was uh, popularized by Jeff McBride, who's a, a magician and a, a thinker, a big thought leader in entertainment. And it's, I believe it's him that said, there's a, you have, you have to know the difference between a drinking crowd and a thinking crowd. And your drinking crowd is like a Renaissance fair or a nightclub or somewhere where people are having fun. They're letting loose, they're recreational, they're maybe not 100% sober. And then you have a thinking crowd, which is like a sit down theater where it's not appropriate to like scream, you know, or to get up and walk around the room. Uh, that's where you can like tell a story or be a little more subtle and people have more full focus on you it's less likely that a child is going to start crying in the middle of your show you know or a phone is going to go off so you can be a little more detailed and i think that that i keep that in mind the difference between those two yeah i i love that that's always a, always a theme when i talk to entertainers that everyone always has to figure out the 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 drinking side of things you know i've talked to Oh, goodness. Party princesses, body painters, mm -hmm. ballerinas, all this kind of stuff. And they always say the only person in this in the entertainment world that's more excited about what I'm doing than a kid is a drunk person. So it seems like you mm -hmm. always you always have to kind of work around that. So I, I think that's that's interesting for, for sure. I want to ask you mm -hmm. now, these are some super easy questions for, for me to ask, but not necessarily easy ones to, to answer. And, and that would be in, in your performances. What's your, what's your favorite part of it all? Oh, that's such a fun and interesting question. I think that my favorite element is usually afterwards. I really like being able to interact with an audience. I, I don't know if that's my favorite, like compared. I don't know if I like that more than being on stage, but it's, there's something really special in being able to come out into the lobby or, or into the audience afterwards and talk to people that just experienced the show mm -hmm. and listen to them and, and about what they liked and what they found memorable and what parts of the show they're going to take with them and what they want to ask and what they want to say. That connection means the world. Like you can't get that on YouTube. You can't get that on social media mm -hmm. and people can make a comment, but you're not, breathing the same air you know you're not feeling you didn't just experience something live together in the same way so that's really special and then I really like the creation process as well like where I'm at now where I'm really re recreating or jigsawing together routines to create a different experience um, it's really cool how you could take out one routine and the whole show changes you know the whole the energy of the the flow makes a big difference I love that because it none of that answer has to do with the actual show. It's all of the other sides of things. So that's, that's really awesome. And, and another question that's easy for me to ask, but maybe not easy to answer. Maybe it has <laughs> the same thing that it's not, uh, you know, it's not a part of the show or very well could be, but what in, in mastering this show and crafting it, what was the hardest thing for you to do? Hardest thing for you to master, whether it was a part of the show, a part of what you're doing, whether it was, the costuming, what was the hardest part of it all? Yeah, um, physically, my finale trick where I shoot a bow and arrow with my feet hmm. was the hardest skill to learn. That's the hardest thing I do in the show. Um, that took me two very solid years to get down. 
and of daily practice or, you know, five to six days a week of practice and a lot of ups and downs in that time. It's a very specific skill that requires a lot of balance, flexibility, strength, control, aiming, focus, and logistics as well. So that was the most difficult on paper, per se. I would say, and that kind of goes back into your your costuming, because I've noticed, I've, I've looked at a lot of pictures of you in these costumes, and part of your costume is to wear these like super cool, colorful socks, but then I think, well, she has this trick, so there's no costume change. How do you, how do you incorporate all of that? How can you get your old costume and still be able to shoot a bear and bow and arrow with your foot? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I wear thigh high socks in my show. It's been a big part of my brand and my look for a long time hmm. and I actually cut the toes out. So <laughs> when I take off, when I'm wearing my socks in the show, when I take off my shoes, uh, I roll the bottoms of my socks up to have my feet out so I can actually shoot as well. Yeah, that would add to the difficulty, I think, if you if you were wearing complete socks and shooting the bow and air. Mm, yeah, probably. I think it would make it kind of slippery on my bow, my bow foot. Yeah, on your bow foot. <laughs> Very mm-hmm. few people have a bow foot, but that's funny. There's the bow foot and then the arrow foot. <laughs> that's that's really that's really awesome. I want to ask you, um, you know, you you talked about all of the the places you perform. What was some of the coolest places you've you've been able to perform? Alaska was my favorite place to travel, for mm. sure, hands down. Uh, it was an absolutely stunning state, and I was there working on a cruise ship, and it was really, really just amazing. I think that I, I didn't, I was performing on the cruise ship, so I wasn't performing in Alaska, but I got to walk off the ship and be in Alaska for many, many days, and it was it was really just absolutely stunning. I highly recommend it if you ever get a chance to go. Some of the most beautiful beautiful sights I've ever seen. The colors and the air are just so crisp and blue and white. It was, it looked like a fairyland. It was very cool. Yeah. Now that is cool. And I, I, I guess I wonder whether you've had a kind of a totally different experience than others I've talked to when it comes to cruise entertainment or if Alaska just was able to trump everything. Cause talk about, you know, drunk crowd that isn't super into it. A lot of times with these cruise ships, they're just in between buffets when they're coming and seeing you. So did you, <laughs> did you enjoy the crowds on these cruise ships? Yeah, I did. It depends. You know, you're right. You're right. There is definitely um, many different reasons to go on a cruise. And some people just like the the buffet and the pool and they don't really need the entertainment. But I think that that's part of the wonderful thing about a cruise as an option is that it is choose your own adventure. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes the people that don't want to see the shows don't come to the shows and I don't need to, you know, perform for audiences that don't want to be there. I think that it's, it's really fun. It's a fun way for families, especially multi-generational families to all experience a vacation together. There's something for the kids There's something for grandma and grandpa. Everything's very accessible, wheelchair accessible, functional in that way. So it, it depended. And it was interesting, too, how the audience has really changed based on the itineraries. The people that go for beaches and cocktails aren't mm-hmm. going to Alaska. Mm-hmm. You know, the people yeah. that are, are going to Hawaii aren't looking to go hike every day. They right. want a beach. So it was fun to have that variety. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as you're an- answering. And I think the huge thing is it's an Alaskan cruise. That's a totally different group of people than that's heading down to the Bahamas. So that, that makes yes. sense for sure. 
we, we talked about some of the coolest places. Have you performed anywhere weird, back of a moving van, something like that? <laughs> um, we did a sh- I did a show once with uh, my former partner. We did a show together at a in a college on a lawn on a Wednesday at like 2 p.m. And nobody was there. <laughs> it was mm. an event that a college booked us for. And uh, people don't have to pay for the event. So there was no money lost. It was just part of their college programming. But uh, it wasn't marketed very well. And it was at a weird time. And uh, we did a show for like three people. And it was it was really fun for those three people. But it was a very different type of experience than I've ever, I've ever had doing a show. So that was that was interesting. Yeah, did those three people just get everything Leo Orleans had to offer? Yep, they got they got the whole thing. It was, it was a fun a fun time. Yeah, <laughs> I think that that's awesome. Well, you I mean you've covered a, a ton. You've talked about some of the places you're going to be. People are listening to this. They want to they want to know where they can catch you. Um, where are some places you're going to be in in the near future? Yeah. So you can find my full tour schedule at tinygirlbigshow.com. That has every place I'm going to be in 2023, as well as links to get tickets. But to list them off, three weekends at the Southern California Renaissance Pleasure Fair. And then I'll be touring through Canada a little bit with a party like Gatsby tour. That'll be super fun and different. And then I'll be in Colorado for a few days. You can check out my website to find those theater shows. I'll be at the Bristol Renaissance Festival, the New York Renaissance Festival, and possibly a few more things that are in the works that I have yet to be able to talk about. <laughs> well, well, we'll stay tuned. I'm sure all of that will be on your website once it once it is announced, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Is that the best place for people that they want to follow along and, and see what, what you've got up your sleeve? Is that the best place to, to find you there too? I'd say first, find me on Instagram. That's where I'm posting the most fun content, keeping things really, really up to date and silly. and shocking and unhinged and then my website has all of our technicalities yeah shocking and unhinged well we've got to follow shocking that. and unhinged i like it. the What's... unhinged circus world of leah orleans is what Whoa. i've been referring to the show as lately <laughs> i like it well it's been a pleasure i really appreciate your time thank you so much it's been great talking so that was Leo Orleans, amazing person. Really, really enjoyed speaking with her. I love just the, you know, the concept of having this one woman show, doing all these amazing things, keeping a captive audience. I, I think that just she's got so much power when it comes to uh, doing these Renaissance fair, and you got people that are going, you know, leaving the show to to go buy a chicken leg and and talking to their friends and all this stuff still getting you know the audience participation the audience captivation um i think that's awesome and then to be able to to transition from that type of performance to doing you know a theater where people drove and paid money and parked just to see you so it's it's a totally different world and and people are a lot uh, a lot more focused if you will and, and i thought that was an, an interesting difference and and it makes sense to have two different shows that way too so I, I really enjoyed speaking with her. Um, we didn't really get into, you know, the technical side of being a contortionist because I am far from that. I, I can barely touch my toes. So I don't, uh, I don't think that I, I would know too much about that. But I hope that you just the entertainment side of it and, and all of that is, is something that was, it was interesting to you. Um, I know in the part that she talked about upcoming events, 
I believe the ones that are, are still in this podcast are ones that are, are still upcoming when, when this one comes out. Um, I did cut a few out because we did film this, uh, you know, a few months ago. Uh, so she's been on a cruise ship since we talked. She's been at a Renaissance Fair in Louisiana, done some amazing, amazing things and, and some really great things coming from, from Colorado to, to more Renaissance Fairs all summer long. Uh, go check out her website, uh, tinygirlbigshow.com. That will be in the show notes. Uh, her Instagram will also be in the show notes. I know that she'd love to see you out at a show. She'd love to see you at a Renaissance Fair. She'd love to have you follow her on Instagram. So all of that will be in the show notes. She'd appreciate that. If this is your first time listening to this podcast or you haven't already, what I would appreciate is you go follow us on Instagram too, Not Enough Podcast. Um, go on Apple. Go on Spotify. Leave that five-star review. Leave a written review on Apple. Even more amazing. Go check out jacksonf.com. Not in the Huff with Jackson F on Facebook. All those amazing places. But uh, if you do nothing else, catch us next week. Another amazing guest. We will see you then. Take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think. Or, hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.